Hi, I'm Charlie, and this is Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders. Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders is available both as a podcast, wherever you get great podcasts, and on video on our YouTube channel, Cooking Secrets for Men. So I'd like to introduce my guest today, who's Anne McKaig. Anne, great to see you. Really good to see you. Been a minute. Yeah. Um, Anne is the president of the Shorewood Village Board. Uh, Shorewood is the first jurisdiction north of Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. uh, on Lake Michigan. Uh, I lived there for 12 years uh, before moving downtown here. Um, and Sherwood's about a one square mile area. Mm-hmm. And um, so Ann is the president of the, the village board, which is, if it was a city, it'd be a city council, but it's a village, so it's a village board. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll get to Shorewood in mm-hmm. a minute. We'll talk about some of the work that's being done. But I want to start where we usually start. This mm-hmm. is the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, like myself, an East Coast person. Yes. Born in uh, Massachusetts. Technically, I was born in Pittsburgh. Oh. But at age that, five. Well, it can't be technically. You were born I in Pittsburgh. Literally, I literally was born in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, home of Mr. Rogers. So, so I, I would just talk about yeah. that growing up and how that set the stage yeah. for of who you are today. Yeah, so I was born in um, Pittsburgh. Um, both my parents are kind of Midwesterners. My mom's from Michigan. My dad's from Cleveland and Philadelphia, which is not East Coast, but but my mom's like Michigan. And um, so born in Pittsburgh. Um, remember the day that Roberto Clemente's plane went down mm-hmm. as I was lying on the... Yeah. And then at age five, uh, my dad relocated with the United Way um, and went to Boston. Okay. Um, and so then that was where I grew up until I graduated from um, high school and went on to college and didn't go back. So I've been on a Midwestern tour since. So I always say that, yeah, I grew up in Massachusetts and I feel like Massachusetts is home in all the ways that home is. Right. Um, but I have this really strong Midwestern background through my parents. And so like I never had an accent, you know. The Midwest is not scary to me. I knew where Chicago was, you know, all those kinds of things that a lot of people in Massachusetts really don't know, you know? So yeah, so that's why when it came time to choose to go to college, I knew I wanted to go to college. I grew up around all the Ivy Leagues. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a very affluent Metro West suburb, you know, Mm -hmm. that was a home to estates of old governors and things like that. Um, And I just wanted to try something new in a new part of the country. Um, But I think growing up, my, the fact that my father was in United Way, so he knew all these very wealthy people in Boston, like the Blue Bloods and the Brahmins and stuff, old money, right? Right. There's three kinds of money in Massachusetts, old money, new money, and no money. And so he knew I'm on the other one. I'm on the no money side. Yeah, exactly. And the town we grew up in, there were three kinds of money, and we were the no money, right? right? Him being involved in that world and knowing both the the giving side, the Mm -hmm. philanthropy side, and then the allocation side of the work that was happening on the ground in Boston and neighborhoods and things like that, um, and being very invested there, and my mom being um, the Christian ed director at our church and doing work camps and taking us into the city and and doing service work and all that they were good white liberals and they moved to the suburbs for the schools but their hearts were in the city right and so growing up that way and now that i realize what that meant in terms of how that fosters segregation and where the roots of you know racism are and structural racism it's a really interesting and then doing the same thing as a parent and it was time for me to pick some place to live um (laughs) 
that really shaped kind of how I look at the world now and the journey that I've I've taken. So I would say also like church family, we were definitely part of a church family. I was partially raised by other people because my parents were out doing work, you know, Um, those kinds of things. And then service, my dad always talked about um, service being part of something bigger than you. Um, He heard me complaining about something in junior high and told me to run for student council. And then I ran for student council president, you know, all those kinds of things that kind of led to where I am today. So you, um, as you mentioned, you went to school in the Midwest. You went to Northwestern, mm-hmm. got your bachelor's there, and then mm-hmm. University of Illinois, Chicago, and mm-hmm. got a master's. So was there a plan after <laughs> graduating, or did... I was putting it... I, I'm a Pisces, so, you know, I was, I was putting it together. I loved Chicago. I wanted to work in Chicago. I got really involved in the rape crisis movement, um, so I put my art therapy degree in that I had an undergrad in um, art theory and practice from uh-huh. Northwestern, which is not known to be an art school, especially you know in Chicago. However, the way that I just worked with incredible painters, but I knew that I couldn't be in a studio my life. I right. knew I had to be out in the community. And but what I learned from the from developing art and creating art is that it is a dynamic process and it's a problem solving process. And I think that's the through line in everything I've done is it's always about composition, dynamics, shift, change, uh-huh. getting to someplace else that you're envisioning, right? And working with whatever you've got to get there. Um, and then the art therapy degree brought that social work in. And so the people dynamics and understanding what motivates people, what holds us back, sure. um, understanding structural racism and oppression, violence against women, getting involved in the rape crisis movement, learning very quickly that client after client was telling me a story that was similar and the circumstances were similar and they were conditions that were created by our system and perpetuated. I quickly realized that I am a systems thinker and so I needed to be involved on both levels. So again, that's another through line is like I studied all these things and I have these skill sets, but applying them on a bigger level is what really motivates me, I guess. Okay. So then you, you moved on after graduating, you did, a, uh, did some therapist work, mm-hmm. you worked in um, program consulting and then uh, an instructor at Mount Mary College. I want to say Mary Mount College, but that's yeah. in, in DC where you know, I'm from. Right, so, right. So it's Mount Mary College. So talk a little bit about those jobs and how that helped set the stage for you to get into uh, the public sector and doing accommodation of volunteer, um, appointed work, and then elected work mm-hmm. in the short world. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, the old feminist saying, like, the personal is political and the political is personal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that my story is about that. You know, I got married um, in Chicago and started moving for my husband's job and mm-hmm. wound up in Milwaukee, pregnant with a degree in something that didn't make enough money to cover childcare once the baby was born. (laughs) And so, and him having a very demanding job. And so I found myself in this very traditional setup of, you know, being an at-home parent in a new city and like, how do I meet people, right? And I'm an extrovert. So it's like, how do I, where's my place, right? Um, And as a transplant, you know, Milwaukee's not the easiest place to break into, right? And so it was a lot. So really the things that on my resume, if you will, 
are really the result of where I could plug in and transfer and apply my skills. So yeah, so as far as if you look at the things that I've done, it's just, it's been about applying my skills, where can I be of service? Where can I grow? Where can I plug in? And those things built on top of each other. The way I got involved in local government was, yes, I had been volunteering with parks because in a segregated city, it seemed like, okay, that's an advocacy place. Like parks, there's, it's free, it's accessible, maintain that, you know, make it inclusive, you know, right. bring money to it, whatever. And then that led to, um, we, and then we got flooded in 2010 with everyone else. And I mean, waist high water in my basement and that I'd never experienced that. And I went to s village meetings wow. about sewers and what are we gonna do about sewers? And I learned about them and how decisions get made and how borrowing occurs and policy decisions. And I saw the people doing the work and I thought, I never knew government was this close to me. You right. know, local government, it's like, you touch it every single day, or it touches you every single day, but you don't see it. And so that really set the stage for me getting more involved and more active. And then community life was kind of my profession. I look at it as like all my experience in the community and working on paper, it's all, it's either paid or not paid, but it's all professional because right. it was always bringing my whole self and my skills. and making things better so you um you mentioned the parks you're on the um and i'm not sure which were volunteer which were yeah. appointed um but the the fire board the uh, intermediate intergovernmental council that's all part of being president okay right mm -hmm. um and then the the planning commission and all kinds president, of president yeah so um it, you were i believe first appointed to the the um village board yeah there was an opening somebody moved away and right. so when there's an when there is a midterm opening you can the board has a chance to choice to appoint have a special election or leave it open so in 2013 they um they did an appointment process um and so i was one of seven applicants and so take the lady had six foot uh water in her basement well right right yeah exactly so yeah so i was the first village board member to live on an alley so <laughs> <laughs> and and I was not the first board member to have been flooded, but I was the first one from Basin um, 6, which was significant. So I did bring some diversity um, to the board <laughs> and my parks background and things like that. So I had a lot of technical knowledge that I brought. Um, and then I served as a trustee for um, two full terms after that and decided not to run for a third term. Um, wanted to give more, I, you know, um, was going through splitting our family into two households and, you know, um, making that life transition, right. putting my career on the front burner, um, all of the things that come with that. And I just thought, and also we were at a very, very divided place on the board. And I really thought that maybe the best thing I could do for the community was to open up my seat and that maybe somebody could come in and kind of disrupt the, the polarization that we had going. I did that and was off the board. I was free for six months. And then the president was gonna be an uncon uncontested race. And I just I literally was walking across the street one day and felt like God threw a brick at my head and just said, you've got to, it, we have to have a contested race. Right. We have to have a public conversation around where we're going and the values. And I know where I want us to go. So I'm gonna run on that. And if I win, I win. And if I don't, I'll go on with my life because right. I've got a full life. I've got plenty to do without this. But I did win. Right. So. 
So now you're president, and there's a second term. You're running for a second term now? I am, and nobody filed to run against me, so I'm Maybe someone will get hit with that brick in the head walking across Well, it's the too late to file, but they could run a very successful write-in campaign. I guess it's possible. Well, glad you're, you, you're the president. You've done a lot of work that, uh, you know, you and I worked together. I worked with you. I shouldn't say yeah. you and I worked together. I worked uh, with some things, um, affordable housing, Human Relations Commission, um, you know, we, so I know that you have a view, uh, having worked with you, that there's more to the world than the one square mile of the village of Shorewood. Mm -hmm. Um, you have a more regional view. You know that Shorewood is part of the Milwaukee County and it abuts the city of Milwaukee and what happens in Milwaukee affects what happens in Shorewood and in Whitefish Bay and in, and all the, the various neighborhoods. So talk a little bit about that view and how Shorewood, the things that you're doing there and how we're trying to um, affect change not only inside the village, but also be part of the change outside the village. Definitely. So yeah, one of the main reasons I decided to run for president was because David Crowley had was in the county exec's office. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be part of his vision, his strategic vision and his leadership. And I knew that I could learn a ton um, by being part of that. And so I thought, so his, the county started, a, um, adopted a strategic vision and it was, you know, one county, one vision, one plan. Mm -hmm. And so I ran on that, that Shorewood is part of one vision, one, you know, um, one county, one vision, one plan. And we had never thought like that before. Right. So it was either going to be embraced or not. And so it was embraced by a hundred votes. <laughs> I won by a hundred votes, but, um, you know, just that idea around, you know, we are the most segregated um, county, um, you know, certainly in the states, almost in the country, you know, terrible, terrible um, injustice, disparities. Um, and, you know, Shorewood is representative of that mindset of seceding and kind of hoarding resources, right? And we're one mile square, 1.4 square miles. But we're thir over 13,000 people right. in that. So we're the most densely populated municipality in the state, which a lot of people don't think about. So um, and my T-shirt that I wore today, it's kind of this idea, the scarcity mindset that uh -huh. equal rights are, you know, if, if we have equal rights, nobody loses. You know, it's not it's not a pie. Right. right. And I know growing up white and growing up in the suburbs and growing, you know, I understand that mental model. I struggle with it myself. I've been on my own journey with re reshaping how I think and and um, how I respond to change, and um, and so I guess knowing that I know that we need to be part of something bigger. We need to be a good partner. And there's also concrete benefit. I mean, we've sure. by cooperating with the county, we've brought we've been part of collaborative grant processes for um, you know, road improvements, bike pedestrian safety. Um, we have had ac access to an incredible collabor expertise collaboration around affordable housing and creating opportunities for that. Um, we're changing minds, we're changing hearts. Um, we have an incredible school district that committed to equity. I wanted to be aligned with that. Um, yeah, and then also the Intergovernmental Cooperation Council, which is basically um, all the chief elects, mayors, presidents in the um, Milwaukee County plus the county exec, that group, that is our advocacy group. Right. And traditionally, historically, it has been a very closed 
um, homogeneous, um, inactive body. And so I want, that's part of being president, like get out there, change this group meets once a month. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's do something. <laughs> There's much more we can do together than we. Well, I, you, you mentioned that, um, you're changing minds and uh, bringing in for, I, I remember when we were t- doing the affordable ho- affordable housing um, meetings back and forth and the, the misinformation around affordable housing was pervasive through not only just in Shorewood, but you know, people said, well, I just, I don't want those poor people moving into my, those, you know, those poor black people moving in my, I said, that's not what affordable housing is. Mm-hmm. And so the speakers that we had come in and the roundtables and the um, information that was disseminated, I think helped people understand, oh, that's what we're talking about. Oh, okay. So um, that's why I think the your vision of Shorewood being part of a bigger um, uh, operation is a good thing. And it allows, and hopefully has people changing their minds or at least thinking about it. So you talked teeny little bit about but tell us about your family. Yeah, so I have lots of different families, but I, um, so I grew up, I was middle of five kids Mm -hmm. and we, um, I'm the one that lives farthest away. My parents um, retired to Cape Cod and so we go, all of us go there. So there are 21 of us that cram into their house for, I go for two weeks. (laughs) So the cousins have grown up together. They, um, and it's not the Kennedy compound. It's, Uh it is um, a few bedrooms and then a huge basement with cots. And so if you can survive that period of time, um, and my friends in Wisconsin who live locally with their family, they're like, you probably actually spend more time with your family than I do, even Uh though, you know, because you have that 24 hour like in, you know. So that's like my extended family and my kids are very, um, you know, they really are identified with that clan mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I have three um, growing to adulthood kids 19, 22, and 24, mm-hmm. going on 25 next month. Um, and they're amazing and awesome, and I love being a mom. And um, and then I have my local family, because right. I don't have family here, and so really I'm a person that puts, I, I wanna bloom where I'm planted, right? And so I have my local family that's a lot built around um, community change, community building, mission, those are how I've made friends and put down roots. Good. All right, so why don't you grab that apron right there. So we've got an apron for you. Um, and as you're putting that on, why don't you tell us what we're making today? So we're, I'm going to share with you um, clam chowder. Mm-hmm. Um, this is mm. something that uh, my family makes um, every Christmas Eve, because Christmas Eve was a big time in our house growing up. Uh-huh. And so it's kind of my nod to the New Englander you know, in me. Um, it's a very simple clam chowder recipe. So, you know, it doesn't have rosemary in it, which is kind of the fancy way of doing it. And, you know, it doesn't, um, it's kind of a thin, you know, liquid, uh-huh. um, which is a little bit more tradi- traditional. The one thing that's not really tra- traditional is the bacon, but it really makes it taste good. <laughs> and it's super easy. No such thing as too much bacon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, so we've, we've done a little bit of prep work. We'll go back. And I think we'll, I have to show you that I have it on the wall back there, but the recipe that uh, um, you sent me, it was handwritten with stains on it. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, I, I have a bunch of those from my mother-in-law that they're just cards that are written that have, you know, 
uh, pour some water into a pan and then there's a splash on it from some, it's just, you know, it, those, those are the best recipes. So anyway, <laughs> give us a minute Yeah. and we'll be right back. All right, so we are over here at this the uh, cook, cooking stage. We've mm -hmm. uh, got some bacon frying. We're going to put some onions in. We've got a couple of onions we chopped. And I appreciate you doing that ahead of time. All right, so the, the onions will cook in the bacon grease. Yes. With the bacon. Um, so we're feeding the crowd, so we'll, that's why we're kind of doubling what we, we normally do. Okay. Um, so I'm just softening up the onions a little bit. And then I'm going to put in potatoes okay. that you so also... Potatoes that we cubed. And obviously, if people... Whatever... I just use regular uh, cooking potatoes. This is just a very traditional, simple, comforting... So we have onions, potatoes, and bacon. Yep. What's not to like? Right. So you could <laughs> stop right here and be fine. Fry a couple eggs and you got some hash. All right. So we're going to... Let these soften a little bit and the onions will soften a little bit. Yeah, and I like down. to put some salt and pepper in at okay. this point. Got some salt. Mm. And we did not salt the potatoes while they were... Ah, uh, um, okay. That would really turn them brown. And they absorb all the water. Black pepper. So very simple spices, salt and pepper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really just salt and pepper. I know a lot of people like to add rosemary or thyme, which you can, but it, that would never, that would make it not my recipe. Right. So, <laughs> it's okay. So, now I've got this all kind of mixed together, so I'm just going to start putting in the clams and the clam juice. Okay. And so we took the, we just opened the cans, and you dump the whole can in. You don't drain it, because okay. this is extra juice that's really tasty. So you don't have to wonder if your seafood is fresh. You know, right? Um, you can make this any place in the country if there's canned clam, minced clams, and clam juice on the shelf. Now we might outsize this pot. I just realized. Yep. Oh, there is no made up juice. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna have to split this. So give us a minute, and we'll be right back after we put in the two pots. Great. Technical. So all right, we're back. We got a second <laughs> pot. So all we did was uh, split the um, ingredients in half. So now we're putting in clam juice, mm -hmm. two bottles um, of... Yeah, and I'm actually going to... Basically, these cook until the potatoes are soft. Okay. Um, I will add... I'm going to taste the broth and then add more salt and pepper um, okay. to taste. All right. We still got more stuff to put in. It's pretty salty, but <clears throat> I think it needs more pepper. Okay. And as you can see, I'm just right. doing it the way my grandma does. Did it. <laughs> All right. Great. So what the next step, um, which we could get ready for, is the thickener. Okay. So I show you some tap water. Sure. Um, so I do. It's right out of the Milwaukee River. Okay. Great. I do about a cup of water. Okay. And then about I'm kind of going from memory. I think I do a quarter cup of. Um, okay. Flour. Now, you as a chef, if you would recommend a different amount of flour in my thickener, I'm open to that. I'm just, when I make gravy, I just keep putting in water and flour until it, it looks, looks right. right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, as you can see, this is where the, this is a recipe that my mom, my mom probably got it from some, like, colonial cookbook or something, right. you know. Um, and when Cape she just, Cod cooks. Right, exactly. 
because um, we always used to make chi uh, chili on New Year's Eve. Uh -huh. It was something she could put on the stove in the morning, and then we'd go to church for a billion hours, and then um, we would uh, come home and eat. And then she added clam chowder because we would feed more and more people every year. Right. And she was like, oh, well, we live in Massachusetts now. Let's, let's, I'm going to do this New England thing, right? Um, so she probably got this from some colonial um, cookbook at some point, but now it's, you know, she just told me how to do it and I wrote it down. Now, where did you live in Massachusetts? Oh, we actually uh, lived in Dover. Dover, D-O-V-E-R, oh, but it's pronounced right. Dover if you live there. All right, so we're on, what, about medium? Yeah. Okay, so we get down on medium for these. Just let it simmer a little bit, but also cook. And Anne's getting ready to put in the thickener, which is flour and water. Yeah, and I don't want to thicken it until the potatoes are soft, so I'm going okay. to check that. But you did such a nice job dicing that they probably will be soft pretty fast. Yeah, I tried to make them slow and I mean slow, um, small, so they would cook a little bit quicker. Yeah, they're still a little okay. crunchy. So we'll uh, we'll let this simmer for a second, and then once we're ready to put in the um, uh, cream, excuse me, the um, I forget we do have cream too. Yeah. Um, Flour and water. I'll be right back. Mm -hmm. All right. So the potatoes have softened significantly. Then we're going to put in the uh, water-flour combo to thicken it. And get both of them bubbling nicely. Yeah. And I was saying on camera that I'm not really a big scientist on the uh, thickening because I'm not very patient. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, I don't, we don't like gluey chowder at the... Uh, at right, the I've top. had it in some places where it's it's thick as glue. And yeah. it's like, this is, no. Or no. very, like, uh, flowery, starchy. Yeah. You can tell, yeah. So this is what I would say is a, is a much more traditional approach. You can tell it's, even without um, the cream yet, but it is, it is thickened up slightly okay. and... You can put a little more thickener in. Right, and you've got the potatoes in there, so they're adding starch, right. you know. So I think it's one of those things that most of the time, if people like clam chowder, they have it in a restaurant, right, because it's on the menu. But once I realized, when I moved away from home and was doing my own Christmas Eve and my own clam chowder, I realized, gosh, this is really easy. Like, why do we only have it on right. Christmas Eve? Because it really is easy. And so that's why I wanted to share this recipe, just because kind of demystify. So I don't know about you, but half the fun of uh, making family recipes when you live on your own out, you know, out mm -hmm. from the home front right. is calling for the recipe over and over again. But when I was doing my own Christmas out here, it's the calling. Even right. though you know how to make it, you just call and say, hey, I'm just, let's just talk it through. And so still on my family, um, you know, text chat, there's still around Christmas all the kind of like, does oh. anyone have the recipe for the sausage? Ring? I'm laughing because that's, both of my parents are deceased and both were good cookers, mm -hmm. I mean cooks, but I'm the one that's the go-to now to like sisters call with. So yes. how do you make the uh, pasta, how do you yeah. make the spaghetti sauce? And, and I have a question about blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yep. that's going around. It's a great way to connect. I'm going to check. We started this a little right. um, later, so I just want to check this. The front one is definitely ready for the cream. Okay. But once we add the cream, that's the number one thing I will say in the camera. 
<laughs> Once you add the cream, do not let it boil because right. it will curl. So do you turn off the heat and then add it? Take it off the heat? Yeah. Okay. But you do want to, what I do is I lower it as low as it can go because mm -hmm. you want to warm it all the way through. Right. Oh, that's great. Right. Oh my God, this tastes so good. <laughs> all right, so this is a cup of creamer. And this is a light cream, aka half and half. Right. What I want to do is I want to be stirring this as I'm adding it. So I stir and mix that in. And I'll do a final taste for seasoning because the cream, you know, obviously does cut the spice sure. a little bit. So it looks like we're, well, that looks very good. Yeah. Very nice. So you can see, like, that's super simple, right? right? It's like fry a little bacon, onion and potato, right. salt and pepper. Clams, clam juice. Uh, big mess that we got here. All right, so we will uh, we'll continue to let this simmer slightly. We'll, we're going to serve it, and then and I think we have to give it a taste, don't you? We totally have to give it a taste because now right. I'm really developing an appetite. Very good. All right, so we're cooking for a crowd, so we'll we'll go to plate this, and then we'll be right back. All right, here we are. Here we are. Um, just finished up with our clam chowder. Uh, so um, so Ann, tell us uh, just. Tell us again what we put in here. We fried some bacon. Mm -hmm. We put in some chopped onion, potato, cans of clams, bottles of clam juice, a lot of salt and pepper, and some finished it, oh, a little thickener with flour and water. All right. And then we finished it off with uh, half and half. All right. So I'm going to put just a teeny bit of parsley on top just to make it look pretty. Mm-hmm. It's nice and pretty. That's how they'd serve it in a restaurant. And... And I didn't want to insult Ann, but I, I usually put a little hot sauce in mine. <laughs> I made him taste it without the hot sauce. It, it tastes great, but I just, yeah. I just put a little... You're not trying to cover up no. something. I put a couple dashes um, of Tabasco. Yeah. And Ooh. I do put oyster crackers in mine. Um, but I have to say, at home, we serve it with... Uh, my mom does make a really good loaf of uh, wheat bread. And so that's a like, yeah. I, I thought about bread. So they yeah. serve legal seafood. Do they serve crackers or do they serve the bread? Oh, I don't remember. It's been a long that's, time. That's the big uh, seafood place in Boston, right? Yeah, yeah. All righty, nothing left to do but give her a taste. Wow. Oh. This is. Know. We were talking um, that some of these clown chowders are so thick you can stand your right. spoon up in them, so and others that. are. Well, to that, this is just the right consistency. Mm -hmm. This is, I would say, a very traditional kind of humble, mm. humble meal. It's got some body to it. You can definitely taste the clams. Mm. Yeah, and since it's minced clams, you know, if you're not a huge clam person, it's not like you're going to bump into a belly or something that right. you don't like. I would say that for people who didn't, who don't love clam chowder, like this is a good entry level chowder. Yeah. You know. And it is now that, again, you know, we're not Cape Codders, and, um, but now that my parents live on Cape Cod and literally they live next door to somebody who is seventh generation, like their streets named after these people because uh -huh. they're like part of the original takeover, I'll say, from, <laughs> from the Indians that were there. Um, but you just get a sense of like where these meals came from. Like these are very simple, very economical meals. This is really good i mean the potatoes are very soft they're not falling apart but they have a little texture to them so when you bite into them um very nice mm -hmm. mm. 
And you can, oh, here's another good tip, is you can do the first part, which is the bacon, onion, um, potato, and salt and pepper saute. You can do that first uh -huh. and leave it, and then start with um, phase two. Or actually, no, you can actually do, you can actually do everything up to adding the cream, put it away, right. and then come back to it. So it's, you can do it in stages, that's my point. But it's not, so, you don't want to add the cream until the end, which most people probably know, but if you haven't cooked with cream, that's the one kind of thing that's different. I yeah, it'll, cream milk will curdle if it start boiling it, and it's, <clears throat> I've tried to make um, oyster stew in the past, and mm -hmm. I always curdle the, mm -hmm. I always curdle it, it's just, yeah. <clears throat> so it makes me mad. Anyway. Yeah, I've mm. never had oyster stew. Really good. Mm -hmm. Well, before you take another bite, and yes. thank you so much. Thank you. It's really great to have you here. Um, great to see you again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we missed, I was actually up in Shorewood last night for a dinner party. Do you know the Darnators? Mark I and Julie. They're right around the corner of um, Capitol and a lake right across from Atwater Park. Mm -hmm. um, good friends of ours. So we had a little dinner party. Um, so it's always nice to be back in the hood, mm -hmm. um, so to speak, with purports to be a hood. Um, <laughs> a wood. Yes, a wood. <laughs> but we uh, enjoyed our time in Shorewood, like being downtown for a variety of reasons, mostly because we live in age-appropriate housing where <laughs> no steps, yeah. no shoveling of snow, no yeah. lawn maintenance stuff. So. When you get to be my age, you'll, you'll appreciate, appreciate that. that yeah, for sure. So, again, I want to thank uh, Anne for coming out today. Mm -hmm. It's great to see her. Um, thanks, as always, for the great support. Please like and subscribe. And appreciate you um, taking the time to support Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders. Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders is brought to you by Cooking Secrets for Men, LLC, and was recorded in the Third Ward in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We feature and profile community leaders who are trying to make Milwaukee a better place. The tagline is, serious people with serious jobs having a little fun. Our guests choose the recipes that we use on the show. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get great podcasts. The original YouTube video for this episode is available on our YouTube channel, Cooking Secrets for Men, all rights reserved. Thanks, and see you next time on Cooking with Milwaukee Community Leaders.